This is Counsel for Life, a podcast engaging conversations about mental health and the Christian life with licensed biblical counselors Beth Broom and Eliza Huey. Welcome back to Counsel for Life. I'm Beth. And I'm Eliza. We're so glad you've joined us today. We're really excited to be with you. And the first thing we want to just celebrate is that Eliza and I got to actually meet face-to-face last week at a conference. It was so wonderful. And obviously we've met over the internet uh, for many times and for a long time, but it was really fun to get to hang out with each other. Eliza, what... um, Man, I'm, we got to have dinner together. Yeah. I almost asked you, what was your favorite part about hanging out with me? That sounds <laughs> not okay. <laughs> um, let me think here. <laughs> you know, what was fun though, was we actually got to record a podcast live together. Um, not this particular podcast, but another podcast that we'll be on. Uh, so that was fun. And just honestly, just not just you, but it's been a while since we've been together with people. And so just seeing people, many people for the first time, people who I've connected with um, online. And so starting to get back into the conference scene in hopefully a safe and um, appropriate way, but yeah, it was great. It was really good. And it was, it was a highlight to meet you face to face. It was super fun. There's something about embodiment, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's a good gift from the Lord. Um, physically sure. being together is something that is so huge for our faith and for practice. So um, yeah. yeah. And it, it was, was fun so because fun. we actually, so we both did a plenary in the pre-conference and then we ended up in the same track together. So we were teaching side by side um, at a few points, which was, which was great. We did the anxiety track um, together, which was fun. Yeah. And then we got to be, we got to sit on a panel together, which was Mm -hmm. really great. And actually that spurred the conversation that we're going to have today. So one of the questions that was asked in that track is something that I thought, man, we thought, let's just review that in our podcast because the question was great. And then we thought this is something a lot of people could hopefully benefit from. So we're going to talk really quickly for just a few minutes about panic. And I know it's a big topic. We tend Mm -hmm. to tackle big topics in 20 minutes, but um, someone asked in that Q and a, what do I do if a friend is having a panic attack? How do I help that friend? What are some things that what's actually happening? How do I know if it's something that, man, we got to go to the ER versus I can actually help them with in that moment of, of, um, just a lot of dread and terror for mm-hmm. people whenever they experience that. So I would love to cue it up to you, Eliza. What, uh, what is panic? What's happening when someone's having a panic attack? What's going on in the body and the brain? Right. That sort of thing. Yeah. And it's, it's good. So my hope is that if, if you're listening and you've never had a panic attack before, that this is going to help you with somebody who, you know, somebody you care for, somebody you love who maybe has them regularly or, or it's happened to them, or maybe you're in a situation where you, you see it and it's happening. But also I think it's going to be helpful for anybody listening in, in case that ever happens to them. I think what's really important to understand is um, panic is basically like an intense and even though it doesn't feel like it, brief episode of significant anxiety. Like it's, it is anxiety in that it's, it's built up, pent up, saved up, if you will, um, anxiety in the body. So basically you've been carrying this for a while and now it's kind of like having that teacup where you fill it, you know, you fill up that teacup. It can hold a whole lot of things that are stressful, that are, that are um, anxiety producing. But when it gets to the brim, 
just a single drop will send it over. And so a lot of times people are like, it felt like it came out of nowhere, but really it's that built up, um, pent up, if you will, anxiety that's in the body in that, that you've been carrying around and it comes out in physical responses. And I think that's really important to understand about a panic attack is you are going to see it in physical responses where we've, we've been talking about anxiety and there's a lot of things about anxiety that happens like in our minds and in our, in our thoughts, but panic is really happening in the body. And so it's really important to understand that. So you're going to see things like shortness of breath. You're going to see things like, um, dizziness. Uh, I, I've, I've shared some, I had a panic attack right after I, I had my first child, I ended up having to be rehospitalized for a emergency surgery and coming out of that, I had been on a lot of drugs, um, not legal drugs, make sure our <laughs> listeners know that, but I had been highly medicated because of this pretty significant surgery and coming out of that, my body was really reacting to a lot of things. And, and I went into a panic attack, didn't even know that's what was happening. I thought I was dying. And that's so important because it can feel like that for anybody who's ever had a panic attack. You think, am I having a heart attack? Mm -hmm. Am I, am I going to faint and lose consciousness? Like there's so many things that you will, you feel, and it can sometimes make it even worse when you don't know what's happening, but trembling muscle tension, just this this, like I said, dizziness or shortness of breath, maybe a heaviness in your chest. Mm -hmm. And you just feel like you want to get out of your skin. Like this, yeah, it yeah. feels very uncomfortable. Yeah. And even, I mean, like I've, I've experienced with people before, it's like they, there's just so much agitation in their body that they, they have to move. Right. But then some others, it's like, they can't move. So, right. so there's just some variety, right? Like some people have different responses to it. Right. Yeah. And sometimes people can even feel like, am I going crazy? Like, oh my gosh, I can't think straight. And yeah, it can be very uh, varied in the effect of it. But one thing that is really important and I think can be helpful is that it doesn't last long. It feels long in the minute, but a panic attack peaks at about three minutes and then it starts to go down. So yeah. most panic episodes, I think I remember reading I think I remember reading, we're about six minutes in length, you know, from the very beginning to the end. Now that six minutes can feel like an eternity when it's happening to your body, but they're not going to last long. And so maybe we should, you know, in light of that kind of getting that description, I think it's important to know, like, what do we do? And so yeah, yeah. we talked about that. I don't know if there's things you want to share. What do you, what do you recommend people do? Well, yeah. I mean, someone who's experienced a, experiencing a panic attack is uncertain. There's so much uncertainty. And the, the front of the brain, the part of the brain where we make decisions is, is kind of in the background because the main thing that's firing and happening in our brain is that fear center. And that, like, it's, that's, what's firing and doing most of the work. And so it is difficult to even think like, what should I be doing? What's actually happening? It's just, it feels like if there are thoughts, they're just sort of flying everywhere. Right. So if I'm a friend or a loved one, or even, you know, a, a bystander, someone that's having a panic attack, it is important that I recognize that, you know, trying to talk someone out of having a panic attack is not actually going to be helpful. They're not, and it's not because they don't care what you think or aren't listening to you. It literally right. is that part of the brain is, is, is taking a backseat. So it is difficult to, 
access logic whenever you're experiencing panic. And so the thing that I like to share with people, you know, the very first thing to think about, I think is, um, physical touch. I think sometimes our instinct is to touch someone to try to, to Mm. bring calm to their body. Um, I would not recommend that. I, I, when it comes to panic, I would not recommend touch. First of all, you know, asking permission to touch when anybody's in a heightened state is always helpful, respectful, honoring. Right. And, um, so I refrain from touch unless I ask permission first when Mm -hmm. somebody's in a panic state. And so, um, I do think those of us, especially some of us that are huggers and we're more touchy feely, like that's the first thing we want to do is like hug someone or touch them. And it's, it's not going to necessarily be the best option. It won't necessarily have a calming effect. In fact, it might have the opposite effect. So we just want to be aware of that. So that would, that would be the first thing I would say. What, what do you think? Yeah. And I think what you said, Beth is so important about like their brain. So one of the things that is happening is the amygdala or the, um, the part of the brain that sends the messages of fight, flight, or freeze is just rapid firing. Like if it, we, we can now see through, um, uh, fMRIs, brain, brain scans, when people are in a, a heightened anxiety state, that that part of the brain is lit up. The prefrontal cortex, as you mentioned, it's, I know sometimes people say it's offline and that kind of gives a wrong description of it. I think you said it's in the background Mm -hmm. at the conference or something. I thought that was so good. It's in the background. It's working. It's not like your brain goes off, but it's, it's quiet. It's very, very quiet. So the amygdala is loud saying, run, get out of there, you know, stay alive. And the logic part of the brain is very quiet. And so that's important for us to know because we can't ask them to do things that make sense. We can't, we can't ask them to enter into the situation with logic. And so if that part of the brain is offline, we, we want to make sure that we don't just bring like steps of, of um, like, well, do this, do that, do this, you know, because first of all, they're not even going to remember what you're telling them to do. So you really want to address, how do you address the amygdala? Well, part of that is calming the amygdala down, calming the body down. And one simple way to do that is to help them breathe. And I know when I, like I shared with you, I had this panic attack in the hospital and I, like I said, thought I was dying and it wasn't until, and this might, I don't know if they still do it this way or not, but this was a long time ago, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) When they came in and they assessed me and then they realized what was going on, they actually brought me a brown paper bag like you see Mm -hmm. in the movies, you know, breathe in the bag or whatever. And as soon as I saw that, well, first they told me, put your hands over your mouth and just breathe, you know, because I was getting too much carbon dioxide in my blood. And so the physical response was also due to what I was doing by my breathing. As soon as I saw that brown paper bag, my brain went, oh, I know what that is panic, you know, and it started to calm me down. So just slowly breathing, just slowly taking those breaths in was huge. Like I could feel my fingers starting to have feeling again. I could feel my chest lighten. It didn't make it go away immediately. But um, so breathing with people and recognizing like, what can you do to calm that part of the brain down? It isn't going to be with facts and logic. It's going to be with what you know, ways that you can calm a person down. Yeah. And, oh, Eliza, I'm so glad that you, you talked about having too much carbon dioxide in your body. And and that's part of what's happening when our breathing happens quickly. So, so there's something about exhaling all the way, like letting Mm. all the air out, like you're like letting the air out of a balloon. Right. Uh, And that is, that's an important part. Um, Many, you know, people will say, experts will say that that's, you know, you think of it like, 
if breathing in is like the accelerator that you push in the car, mm-hmm. uh, breathing out is like pushing the brake. So breathing all the way out as best you can. And I, I mean, I recommend, and I think you said this at the conference, Eliza, just doing that with the person yes. that you're, it's, it's almost this experience of, um, mirroring, showing them that I'm with you. I'm going to breathe with you. Yeah. They're really helpful because they can look at your face. They can watch how slowly you're breathing and they can mirror that as well. That's a helpful. That's really thing. important too, because, and, and we brought this up was the whole idea. Mirroring is one part of it. Another part of it is co-regulation, which is so important for everybody to understand because if you're sitting with somebody who's having a panic attack and they think they're going to die, they are anxious and they're, they're, you know, the, like the word describes in a panic it's going to do something to you to be in that place. And so it's going to get your blood pressure up a little bit because you want to help them and you want them to not feel the way they're feeling and you want to make sure they really are safe. So co-regulating, like with you breathing with them, you're both calming down. You're calming yourself down. You're calming them down. And it can be a huge, huge help to the situation. So Uh, Yeah, those are, those are just another thing that I would say, and maybe you can kind of speak to what are some ways to do this as well, but what we call grounding, where we're basically trying to bring them back to the present, right where we are, where are you, you know, are you safe, what's going on, because a lot of times these panic attacks can happen in completely safe situations, but they don't feel safe at the moment. Um, And so just helping them get more grounded and, and sometimes you can do that with just like help asking them to hold on to something, you know, whether it's, you know, maybe there's something that you can grab in the room and say, just, just hold on to this and feel it. You know, you're kind of bringing them, giving their brain something else to focus on and their brain will, if you put something in their hand, even though they're not thinking hard about it, their brain is having to use some mental energy towards whatever it is you have in your hand, whether it's a pencil, or maybe there's a a squishy ball in the room or something that has texture can be really good because you're distracting the brain. But any other ways you can think of grounding that people can find helpful? Yeah. I had a a situation one time where I I actually witnessed an accident. It was a pretty bad accident. And um, I pulled over and the person immediately got out of the car and there was shock and there was panic. And there wasn't any, I didn't have anything in my hands. She didn't have anything in her hands. And I basically just said, cause we were in the grass and I basically just said, she was wearing sandals. I said, what if you, do you, do you feel like you could take off your sandals and just feel the grass under your feet? Oh, I love that. So just that, and she was, and then she said, yes. And she did that. And then I said, does it feel hot or cold or cool on the ground? Does the ground feel warm or cool? And I was just giving her a chance to, again, reaccess that prefrontal uh, yep. sense, the sensory kinds of things. And um, so I asked her that. And then, and then, yeah, even she was wringing her hands and she was walking back and forth and wringing her hands. And I noticed that. And I just said, what do your hands feel like? And she said, oh, they're clammy. And okay. Yeah. And, and as this was happening, it's like she was coming back to me because that's what it seems it. like. There's, it's like they've gone somewhere else and you're trying to just bring them back to the moment. Right. It like, is. Uh, and that's, that's a really important um, thing to be able to do. So yeah, anything that's sensory, any, mm-hmm. you know, what, how does that feel in your hands? So we're not asking about emotion feelings. We're asking about like sensory feelings. Right. Right. Uh, and then even, you know, this, this concept of what, what are two things in the room that you see or three yep. things in the room that you see, they don't have to they think can, hard about it. Yeah. They just can say it. Yep. Something simple. I've even had, you know, I had a professor one time that recommended, and this may be too much, I don't know, but like 
see if you can say your ABCs backwards or something. Yeah. It forces you to like, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I can't, can't even do that. do that when I'm, you know, like in well. my, uh, yeah, I can't, but, but sometimes maybe something more simpler, like counting down. Can yeah. Be count helpful. backwards from 10 mm-hmm. or, you know, something like that. Giving, yeah. giving somebody the opportunity to do a simple brain activity exactly. that brings them back to the present moment. So I think that's, those, that's really great. These are so good. And hopefully you guys who are listening are able to kind of take away a few things because panic is pretty common. And I think we're going to see more and more people struggling with that as we've been through, because it comes from carrying a lot of anxiety for a long time. And so we've been through a very hard season. A lot Mm -hmm. of people have been through very anxious times in this past year and a half through the pandemic and so forth. And so you don't realize how much your body will eventually tell you how much you've been carrying. It'll catch up with you. Now that, that isn't to say that because you've been through an anxious time, you're going to have a panic attack. If you're caring for yourself. And if you listen to the episodes we've already recorded on anxiety, you're going to hear some helpful ways to care for yourself, but it is common. And one thing I think is important is for us to know, like it, it can be hard in those moments. Like I wouldn't necessarily recommend like just throwing a scripture at somebody and saying, here's the scripture think this way or whatever, because they're not going to really remember it though. You can embody Christ in that moment. And so I think it's really important also to, to look at how did the Lord care for people who were in dire situations? And that's really important to, when you're wondering, like, how do I care for somebody during a panic attack? Embody Christ. Jesus cared for people who were struggling. And I was reading actually this morning in Philippians and there's a Philippians 4, 4, it's the one part of the Bible where I, there's little parts in the Bible here and there where I get really frustrated at where they make the verse divisions and stuff like that. And this is definitely one of them, but Philippians four, there's a sentence that starts the very end of of verse four, and then it goes into verse five. So they really should be together, but they're divided by a little tiny number. But so I'm just going to read it the way it's written. And it says this, the Lord is at hand, be anxious for nothing. We tend to separate those because that's the way it's written in the, in the Bible that we read, but they're not separated. In fact, it's, it's written with a semicolon. It's finishing the statement. The Lord is at hand, be anxious for nothing. And so reminding them that God is present, but being that presence yourself, like showing them how Jesus cares for people who suffer by being that present help as well. And then pointing them to that. Certainly you can ask them, would it, would it be helpful if I prayed? I've prayed for many people in the middle of a panic attack and that has helped, you know, you just Mm -hmm. breathe while I pray for you. So that's so great, Eliza. Thank you so much for that reminder. And when you were talking about that verse in Philippians four, it reminded me of the story of Jesus walking on the water and the disciples are on the boat and they think he is a ghost. Mm -hmm. And he says to them, fear not, it is I. Mm -hmm. So he's not, what's interesting is that I think sometimes this, this fear not concept can feel like a finger shaking command. If that makes sense, stop it, stop fearing. And, but actually the reason he says it is I, he's providing comfort. It's a very pastoral shepherding statement that Jesus makes. Don't, you don't have to be afraid because it's me. 
Mm-hmm. And then he gets in the boat with them. You know, he, it says he had every intention of just walking past them, which is really interesting, but then he doesn't because they're afraid he gets in the boat with them. And so this is, this is true of our savior. And you're right. You're that's so helpful. We get to embody that with people who are experiencing these things. And I wanted to just say a quick word about, you know, if you have panic attacks or if you're experiencing a panic attack and you're alone, that can be really scary. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I have clients that I just, I coach them when they're not in a panic state about what to do. And if the only thing you remember to do is to just take deep breaths and feel the carpet or the ground under your feet, that will help you. It does pass. So that really important concept that this is going to pass, this is Mm -hmm. not going to last forever. It's going to pass in a few minutes. And if in any way you can access a safe person in that moment, that's, that's going to be good. You know, wherever you are, even if it's, I'm going to try to reach out and text someone as soon as I kind of remember that I can do that, you know, and, and, and to just not try not to be alone in those scenarios because it it is a scary thing anyway, but especially if you're by yourself and that happens. So that's so great. Thank you so much for that wisdom, Eliza. And um, man, as we finish out today, I want to ask you just for a, a moment of humanity that you've experienced. You shared something with me earlier that was quite funny about your, you know, and, and, and honestly, it's, we, we experience moments anyway, all the time, but being people who also teach classes and lead others, there's moments that can end up being somewhat public (laughs) that are Uh, moments of humanity. And I would love for you to share one with us today, just as we close out, just as we're sharing our lives with you guys, our listeners. Oh, yes. If I didn't get so many comments about how much people love this part, (laughs) I hope we're not digging ourselves into a hole. Is this their favorite thing? That's, I I don't know about that. Come on, people. (laughs) Well, so I, we were talking offline and both Beth and I teach, uh, equipped to counsel, which is ABC's level one certification, um, for biblical counseling. And I was telling her, she's about to start a new class and I'll be starting a new one in January. And, um, I was telling her about how I went through and in, well, not an entire, but almost about halfway through the, 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 this, these are long classes. They're like seven, eight months together. And you have a whole, you know, a website, a Google classroom, all of the stuff where all your documents up, are up there. And, and we always shorten equipped to counsel to ETC only I shortened it to ECT. Now, for those of you who are not in the clinical world of counseling, you're like, okay, whatever. But ECT stands for electroconvulsive therapy. So basically shock therapy that's given to people who are have severe, severe depression. It's basically like forcing people's brains into like a seizure state. And, and, it, and it's actually not really recommended anymore. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, so I'm, I'm constantly telling these people that I'm training them in ECT. And, I, and finally, a sweet, sweet gal in the class said, I think you have a typo and you keep saying it wrong, but I don't think you mean what you're saying. <laughs> so, oh, man. so I didn't train people in ECT. I trained them in ETC. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. And, and praise God for that, for that student who was willing to speak up and tell you. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, so that's, awesome. that's a moment. We all have them, but that's thanks true. so much everybody for joining us today. We hope this has been helpful for you and we look forward to having you with us again on another episode of Council for Life. Thanks for listening to Council for Life with Beth Broom and Eliza Huey. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please be sure to rate, share, and subscribe. And for more information, visit councilforlifepodcast.com.